Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. January 28th, 1999 was a day that changed my life. I guess like any other day, you go into it not knowing exactly what's going to happen. But that particular day, I had high expectations. And then what happened surprised me changed me forever. But just to give you a little context, I grew up in the television and the entertainment industry. And for the most part, I've been a television director for decades. I was touring with entertainment acts, doing corporate work, doing broadcast television. And I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. And just the nature of what I did meant that I, I traveled a lot. And I was at a point in my career where I was on the road almost every week. I say that even as I had married my high school sweetheart, who I'm still married to, madly in love with her. We had five kids, but the nature of my work had me at a place where I had become somewhat of a absentee father and absentee husband. I'd show up at all the right times and do what I believed were the right things and provided well for the family. But I wasn't around, and I did not realize completely what the cost was, but I had a stirring in my heart that said I needed a change. And then a friend approached me. He said, have you ever thought about doing a documentary project? I said, well, yeah, I, I have. And I've, I've done a lot of long-form video production work, but never a self-produced documentary project. He said, I've got an idea, and let's develop it. So we did. We developed the project, the project went well, but I think a really important thing about the nature of the work that we do is that people celebrate the idea, I did it, I got it done. We produced this project. But the truth is, is that in the production world, production without distribution is just a, a fun hobby and we need distribution. And as we finished the project, we got a call out of a company in Nashville and said, we love your project and we'd like to distribute it. That was crazy great news, because it's always the great risk. But not only this, it wasn't just a distributor. They said, fly to Nashville. Let's have a meeting in late January, and I have a big advance check to give you. Even better. So, needless to say, after years of traveling on the road and working with celebrities and rock stars, I was going to be my own documentary producer, and I had a check waiting for me in Nashville. So when I got on that plane, 
out of Portland, Oregon, where my family lives. I remember flying out of uh, Portland and looking out over the Cascade Range. And it's absolutely stunning and beautiful. It was a gorgeous day. And I remember thinking to myself, today, my life is going to change forever. Today is going to be a change like I have never imagined. And my career is going to take a, a leap that's going to set me on an exciting new course. And hey, maybe I'll be a better father. Maybe I'll be a better husband. I just didn't know. But about 20 minutes into that flight, oddly enough, I started to feel ill. Uh, like kind of sick to my stomach and uh, maybe a little dizzy, which is strange because I'm never, ever, ever, ever sick. I'm just not sick and I'm flying all the time. So to have this type of sensation was so new and so foreign to me, I obviously got concerned. And I remember <laughs> sitting there and I, I was with my best friend. He was on his way to Nashville, Timothy, as a, uh, he's a gospel singer, one of the greatest gospel singers in the world, actually. And he, he's going to Nashville. And I don't want to say anything to Tim, but I begin looking in the seat in front of me. And there was the, the bag, you know, the sick bag. And I remember thinking, no, not the bag, not the bag. But the more I fixated on what I didn't want to happen, the more things started to collapse in around me. It's as if I was starting to see through a tunnel and I started to feel tingling. And it got so bad, I turned to Tim. I said, Tim, something's not right. And that's the last thing I said before my eyes rolled back in my head, my arms flopped by my side and my heart stopped. Now at first, Tim wasn't sure if I was joking or, or what, but he recognized, he could see what was happening in my body, my skin. And interestingly enough, just two weeks before this incident, Tim had been in a situation where he witnessed someone having a heart attack. And he said it looked just like that scenario. The body, the way you flopped, the way you were laying in the seat. So Tim, not knowing CPR though, knew about doing chest compressions. And he began reaching over into the window side of the plane, just doing chest compressions. Now, just for context also, know this. I'm a little Irish guy, I'm not a tall man, but Timothy's built like an NFL linebacker. So when Tim is reaching over me and pounding on me, pounding on me in the chest, create quite a scene. But then, as Tim describes it to me, nothing happened. I didn't move. I didn't respond. So Tim literally picked me up and put me in the aisle in the middle of the plane and began beating on my chest and beating on my chest over and over again. Still nothing. And again, according to Tim's account, he said he pulled back his fist fully prepared to break my ribs now. And as he pulled back his hand, I took a breath. Now, just on the, the physical side, of course, the whole episode was very disturbing to the plane. 
and it ultimately resulted in the pilot making an emergency landing. Now, the way we were flying, it meant that we made an emergency landing in Rapid City, South Dakota. Rapid City, which is a great community, but not equipped for having sudden surprise airliners plop in their, in their town. We were greeted by ambulance and I was rushed to the hospital. They began doing a battery test, thinking for sure I had a heart attack but they couldn't find anything. In fact, the only thing they could find was that I was extremely dehydrated. So after about three hours of observation and pumping me with fluids, they said, we're gonna release you. And they let me go. So Timothy and I found a spot at a, a little motel about four blocks away from the hospital. We spent the night and I immediately plotted my plan despite what crazy thing happened to get to Nashville to get that check. Well, I did get that check. Immediately came back to my uh, cardiac wing in Portland where they did a series of tests. And they diagnosed me with malignant neurocardiogenic syncope. And uh, basically what it means, it's malignant, you can die from it. Neuro's brain, cardio's heart, and syncope means out of sync. And um, the only way they can prevent it, they don't know what causes it, but the only way they can prevent it is to put a pacemaker in your chest. And in fact, um, I still have my, my first pacemaker. I'm now my third one now, because I have to change the batteries out. But that little baby went into my chest, and along with the death experience, which I'll explain in more detail, it means that this thing had to go off at least a half a dozen times a day to keep me alive. And the combination of my death experience and facing the possibility of death every day has changed me, has changed me forever. Now, all the stuff that's happening on the outside in this dimension looked like a medical emergency. Tim was panicked, the plane was panicked, but let me tell you how I felt. I remember turning to Tim and saying something's not right. But the minute I closed my eyes, I crossed over from the threshold of the dimension of time to the dimension of eternity. And I entered a space that, in all honesty, I was terrified at the prospect of entering. Now, a little bit more context. The way I grew up as a child, I grew up in a, in a, a religious home. And my father, whom, whom I love, he's passed away many years ago, and he tried, but he was very, very, very abusive, physically, verbally. And I think like a lot of us, any authority we have in our life particularly parental authorities, we superimpose that idea of however it's manifested as authority or love or discipline as to what we perceive God is. And even though I said all the right things in school and in church and you know, God loves you and blah, 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 and all that stuff, deep down I believed that if the day ever came that I would come face to face with God, I was going to get a finger in my face 
and it was going to sternly tell me, you failed. You messed up so bad. You are such a disappointment. You could have been something if you'd lived up to your potential, but you didn't even come close. I could say there's hundreds of lies just like that. But I was so convinced that despite whatever outside religious declarations I could make about God's goodness, deep down I, I felt that I was going to face a hideous and mean-spirited God that was going to tell me how horrible I was. But that's not what I experienced. When I crossed over, and I can't tell you what that in heaven, I can't even tell you where I was. I mean, it's not one of those things where you cross over and some people say, oh, I saw golden streets and maybe there was a yard sign that says, welcome to heaven or something like that. It was an angel. It wasn't like that at all. But I was abruptly and suddenly and overwhelmingly thrust into the presence of God. And it wasn't as if, I mean, some people say, oh, you know, and what do you look like and da-da-da. It's as if this was not a place for words for me. It was a place of just an overwhelming sensation that I was now not only in the presence of the divine, but I was in the presence of the embodiment of love. And if you can try to imagine what eternity would be, just from a physics standpoint, that he says, as high as you can look up, or as low as you can look, or as right as you can write, right, it doesn't end. And that was to me as much the presence of God, but more so the overwhelming sense of God's love, not just an objective body of love, but a love that, that loved me. It was so foreign to what I perceived God was or could be. It was so foreign to my inner voice, the echoes that ripple through our head from the lies that are told to us as children about our inadequacy and our unworthiness and our lack of value. And I recognize that, yeah, I'm loved, that God sees me as a miracle. And maybe more important is that it's not just me, it's that he recognizes you as a miracle. And that God doesn't just know us. God doesn't just like us. God doesn't just love us. But the creator of the universe is madly in love with you. And the creator of the universe is your biggest cheerleader, your greatest friend, your closest partner. And every tear you've ever shed, he shed with you. Every hope you've ever hoped, he's hoped with you. Every dream you've ever dreamed, he's dreamed with you. And he's been cheering you along every, every second and every breath of your life. That connectedness, needless to say, overwhelmed me. 
The other thing was so stunning about that experience was the recognition that I had crossed over from a dimension of time and space to a dimension of eternity. And I couldn't put it into words at the time, but only now in retrospect, I, I see it's as if we entered a dimension where everything that ever has happened and everything that will happen has happened. And that sense of landing and conclusion, a completeness, also gave me enormous peace, enormous peace, and a sense of also excitement, encouragement, hope. So as I was experiencing all this and just really absorbing it, and I will tell you, it's been years since this has happened. To this day, I still absorb what that means and what I felt. And new insights come in, I go, oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's what that meant. To that degree, it changed me. And honestly, while Tim was having this emergency episode at 30,000 feet, I was having this incredible life-changing experience at the height of eternity. And I can also say it while his episode trying to revive me might have lasted two or three minutes. I don't know exactly. No one was timing it, but what probably seemed a long time. I may have been, according to eternal figures, in the presence of God for a million years. I don't know. But suddenly, I came back. And I remember that second that all of a sudden I regained consciousness. It's like I came through a threshold. Now, some people, they talk about dying and they go to a tunnel and then they go some light. My exit was fast and instantaneous. My journey back, that's where the tunnel was. It was that being pulled back into the dimension of time and space and into my body where I was about to begin my life anew. And I was back, just like that. And I was overwhelmed at how loud our world was. I mean, seriously. As I said, getting on that plane, I remember thinking that day my life's gonna change forever. And it has. One thing that I have absolutely no fear of is death. Because I know we live. But more importantly, I know that there's a God that's madly in love with us, madly in love with you. And when I hear people say, I'm dying, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Secretly, there's a part of me that my heart aches for the family. My heart aches for the process, but my heart rejoices for the outcome because it's better than someone telling you they're going to Disneyland, they're going to Europe, they're gonna experience something. I go, oh, trust me, what you're about to experience is gonna blow your mind and change you forever. I also mentioned that 
because of the pacemaker now. It means that I now live with a condition that if there's any mechanical failure, it means that I might not get up tomorrow morning. It means that my heart might take a dramatic shift, even as I share the story with you. And I might close my eyes and be gone. So when I wake up in the morning, I acknowledge that breath, not only as a precious, precious gift, but as a gift now I have to give to others. Because I believe that my next breath, my next day, it's something I didn't earn. It's something I didn't deserve. I mean, I can't say I paid money for it or did some magical deed for it. I believe it on my heart. It's a precious, precious gift. And if we're given that precious gift today, how are we going to use that gift to make an impact in the lives of those around us? I continue to learn from that lesson. But I can tell you that as crazy as it sounds, I wish everybody could die and then come back because it would change you forever.